Let me explain it this way. I believe that I am saved. And so I'm not working my way towards salvation. He has saved me. But as the redeemed of the Lord, he is changing me. And sometimes it seems ever so slowly. If you don't continually come to Jesus every day and and get that daily washing, that daily cleansing, not a daily saving, but just kind of washing away the trash of this world, that heart becomes hard in this world. Jesus came to give us new hearts. You're looking too far for that need you have inside. Welcome to The Cleansing Word. We invite you to stay with us as Pastor John Pinnell of Calvary Chapel Lake Villa takes us through a verse-by-verse study from God's Word. Each Monday through Friday, we'll be airing messages to encourage you in your faith that you might grow in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. I hope that you enjoy this broadcast and I'll return at the close of this teaching to give you more information about our church and how you can obtain a copy of this message. Now here's Pastor John with today's message from God's Word. Today we're going to be looking at John chapter 3, verses 1 through 16. I titled this, For God So Loved. In chapter 2, it closed out with John twice telling us that Jesus knows the heart of man. And here in chapter 3, Jesus reveals to a man his knowledge of a man named Nicodemus, the original naked knight. We meet him right here in John chapter 3. And Father, I pray that you would just prick our hearts as we study this passage, a very familiar passage to us, especially verse 16. But Lord, I pray that you would just give us some greater understanding. And Lord, that if there are some who have wandered from faith, you'd use this teaching, Lord, to help bring them back and to draw them near once again. Or perhaps, Lord, there are those who, like Nicodemus, a very religious man, but Lord, He still did not know salvation, but he would, by the end of the book of John, will learn that he comes to saving faith. And so, Father, I pray that you'd work in the hearts of those, perhaps, Lord, they could be very religious but not saved, or maybe they're not religious but still not saved. Speak to our hearts, Lord, that we might all enter into the kingdom of God. We pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. So he gives the picture of Moses in verses 10 through 15. As Moses lifted up the serpent, he says in verse 10, Jesus answered and said to him, you are the teacher of Israel and do not know these things. Most assuredly, I say to you, we speak what we know and testify what we have seen and you do not receive our witness. If I've told you earthly things and you do not believe, How will you believe if I tell you heavenly things? No one has ascended to heaven, but he who came down from heaven. That is the son of man. Remember Jesus's favorite saying of himself, uh, the son of man who is in heaven. 
As Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. So he calls Nicodemus the teacher of Israel. I think that's significant because he used a definite article to describe Nicodemus here. He didn't say to Nicodemus, you are a teacher of Israel. You're one of the teachers of Israel. No, he said, you're the teacher, the teacher of Israel. It might tell us that Nicodemus had a pretty great place or standing in his community as a teacher in the nation of Israel. Jesus calling him the teacher of Israel. But sadly, he, like the other Pharisees and scribes and Sadducees, they had missed the main point of God's law. They'd missed Jesus. The law and the prophets were preached until John, but John introduced the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Last month's memory verse, John 1, 29. Jesus calling Nicodemus the teacher of Israel. Nicodemus should have known from the Old Testament scriptures concerning the things of the Messiah and God's plan for salvation and God doing a new work in the heart of mankind. Scriptures like this, I found a few of them for us. In Jeremiah 31, verses 33 and 34, this is talking about a new work that God was going to do for the children of Israel and for us through Jesus Christ. But this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel. I will put my law in their minds. I will write it on their hearts. I will be their God and they shall be my people. No more shall every man teach his neighbor and every brother saying, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me from the least of them to the greatest, says the Lord, for I will forgive their iniquity and I will remember their sins no more. That's part of the salvation process that God puts a new spirit, a new heart in us, that he forgives us of our iniquity, remembers our sins no more because of faith in Jesus Christ. In Ezekiel eleven nineteen and 20, he says, I will give them one heart. I will put a new spirit within them. I will take out the stony heart of their flesh and I will give them a heart of flesh that they may walk in my statutes and keep my judgments and do them. They shall be my people and I will be their God. God gives us a new heart. He changes us from the inside out. He takes out that old stony heart of flesh, a heart that's been seared over time by the conditions of this world. And he gives us a new heart. He softens us that we might serve Jesus Christ. In verses 11 and 12, Jesus speaks to Nicodemus talking about the testimony that we have given. He said, we speak, we know, we testify, we have seen. And there is a question as to who is Jesus referring to here? Is he referring to himself and John the Baptist? Is he referring to himself and the Old Testament prophets? Or is he referring to himself and the Father and the Holy Spirit? Well, I can tell you by the New King James, the King James, and the Holman Christian Standard Bible, I think that's how it goes. They all believe it's talking about Jesus, God the Father, and God 
the Holy Spirit. Because they capitalized all of these pronouns, the we and the our are capitalized. All other translations, they leave it for our guests and they put it in small case. And so they didn't try to distinguish whether they were talking about the prophets, talking about John the Baptist, talking about Jesus and his disciples, or talking about Jesus and his Father and the Holy Spirit. But either way, Jesus was pointing out to Nicodemus and that most of the Jews, they did not comprehend the necessity of new birth. Well, they used terms like new birth in their religion. They practiced these things. You find it in the Talmud. They used metaphors about a person's change of status uh, described in Judaism. When someone would convert to Judaism, they described it as a newborn infant. A rebirth also occurred when a man was married on his wedding day. They would describe it when he takes his wife as becoming like a newborn child. Jewish tradition teaches that when Israel offered sacrifices to God on the Feast of Trumpets, that God considered them as a new creation, as a new being. Ezekiel 36, verses 26 and 27, the same theme of a new heart and new spirit. God said, I will give you a new heart. I will put a new spirit in you. I will take the heart of stone out of your flesh, and I will give you a heart of flesh. I will put my spirit within you, and I will cause you to walk in my statutes, and you will keep my judgments and do them. The work of Jesus Christ giving us new hearts. He changes us from the inside out. Let me explain it this way. I believe that I am saved. And so I'm not working my way towards salvation. He has saved me. But as the redeemed of the Lord, he is changing me. And sometimes it seems ever so slowly. But he is changing, changing me from the inside out. Taking that heart of stone that is if you don't continually come to the word of God where it tells us in Ephesians 5 26 that you are washed by the water of your word if you don't continually come to Jesus every day and, and get that daily washing that daily cleansing not a daily saving but just kind of washing away the trash of this world that heart becomes hard in this world Jesus came to give us new hearts. And he relates it, as we've already looked at in verses 13 through 15, of salvation through looking to Jesus on the cross, relating it to the story of Moses lifting up the serpent in the wilderness, saying, even so the son must be lifted up, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. The serpent in the wilderness, Israel had sinned against the Lord. They'd been bitten by these poisonous snakes, and they were dying. God commanded Moses to erect a bronze serpent, to place it on a pole, and he promised that all who would look upon it would be healed, and they were healed. In Numbers 21.8, it tells us the commandment from the Lord to Moses, make a fiery serpent and set it on a pole, and it shall be that everyone who is bitten, when he looks at it, shall live. That bronze serpent, speaking of judgment that had come upon the nation of Israel. And the serpent itself reminds us of the Garden of Eden and his part in the fall of mankind. That because of Satan, 
tempting Eve and Eve taking that temptation, eating of the fruit, giving it to her husband who was with her at that time. Sin has come upon all mankind. We are born into it. But just as Moses set up that serpent in the midst of Israel at that time and said, look to it and you'll be healed. Look to it and you'll be saved. So too, we have to look to Jesus that we might be saved. Jesus took God's judgment upon him, bore them upon the cross that we might be saved. And those who think it's foolish to look to Jesus, well, they'll ultimately find death and eternal punishment. We'll learn about that as we get into verse 17 next week. But to those who look to Jesus in life-saving faith, they are saved. And the question today, if you look to Jesus in life-saving faith, and here it is, the most famous, perhaps, verse in all of Scripture. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. God's great love toward us has been demonstrated by his gift of Jesus. There are two main words that's used in the New Testament Greek concerning love. The first is phileo. It speaks about a, a brotherly love that we might have toward one another. It's more of a give and take love. I love you because you love me. I love you because you do things for me. It's give and take. It's phileo love. It's a brotherly love. The other word is agape. It speaks about a love that never expects anything in return. And God displayed his agape love toward us by sending his only begotten son to die for our sins. Yet before God ever created the heavens and the earth, he knew that he would one day have to send Jesus. He was foreordained from the foundations of the world, according to 1 Peter 1.20, but was manifested in these last days. For us, some 2,000 years ago, Jesus came. In his epistle, John describes what true love is all about. Not that we love God, but that God loved us and sent his son to be a propitiation for our sins. That Greek word for propitiation means a covering, that Jesus becomes a covering for our sins. It's the same word that if we were to translate the mercy seat from the Old Testament into Greek, it's the same word for covering there, that that mercy covers that we will not be judged by God. In 1 John 4, verses 9 and 10, it tells us, in this is the love of God. It was manifested toward us, not that God sent his only begotten son into the world, that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be a propitiation for our sins. So God so loved us, and he's demonstrated that love toward us by sending Jesus. He gave his only son. It's a gift of salvation that's been given, beginning with Jesus there in the manger in Bethlehem. But that little lamb of God who was born in Bethlehem grew to be a man and became the lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. But only to those who by faith believe in him. Romans 8.32 tells us that he did not spare his own son, but delivered him up for us all. How shall he not 
with him also freely give us all thanks. He did not spare his own son. God gave his only son. But with every gift, there has to be a recipient or recipients. Just because a gift is given, it doesn't mean that you have to open it, right? Has anybody ever misplaced a gift, maybe a Christmas present, tucked it away, especially if they come in a card or gift cards, right? That's pretty popular these days. Get a Christmas gift card and you tuck it away and a year later, it's like, oh, we can go out to eat tonight. I forgot about this. That gift card's no good unless you actually go and use it somewhere. The gift has been given, but only if it's open can it be obtained. It's by faith that we are able to receive the gift that God has given through Christ Jesus, our Lord. We have to put faith in Jesus Christ. In 1 Timothy 1, 15 and 16, it tells us, This is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptance, that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. Paul says, of whom I am chief. However, for this reason, I have obtained mercy, that in me first Jesus Christ might show all long suffering as a pattern to those who are going to believe on him for everlasting life. Paul saw that God sent Jesus to save sinners, and he says, I'm the chief of all sinners, but I'm an example for you, basically saying, if God can save me, he can also save you. That whosoever believes in him, as our culture continues to drift further away from the truth of God's word, as we continue to get bombarded by evolutionary thinking from grade school to high school, from colleges to universities, from all the various forms of media today, we find that belief in God is actually declining in the world at an un unprecedented rate, but we have to believe if in this life we only have hope in Jesus Christ, Paul said we are of all men most pitiful. Faith in Jesus Christ isn't just like joining the, uh, some club, community club that you might have, do some good works, and there are some good clubs that do good works, but it does nothing for their eternal aspect of whether they'll be saved or not. Salvation is not about only this life. As Paul said, in this life, if we only have hope in Christ, he says we are of most men most pitiful. According to John 3.16, by believing in Jesus, we will not perish in everlasting destruction. That has been reserved for those who do not believe. But we have everlasting life. Remember, I've already said this. It doesn't say that we will have. We have everlasting life. It is a completed work. It is a gift of God. That's why Paul was able to write in Romans 8, 37 through 39. Yet in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present or things to come, nor height or depth, nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. You know, one of the great Christian scientists who's now with the Lord today, 
but he challenged the evolutionary thoughts in our world, helped to bring this to a forefront in our nation and throughout the world. Henry Morris, he said of John 3.16, this verse, of course, is the most magnificent of all the gospel verses. Many would call it the greatest verse in the Bible. It assures us that if we simply put our trust in our great creator, who has become man in order to die for our sins, and then to defeat death and to become our savior, our sins will be forgiven and we shall live forever with him. God so loved the world that he gave us Jesus. And again, have we believed? John 3.16 came as a result of a very religious man who came to Jesus by night, acknowledging that Jesus was a man who had come from God because of the signs and the words that he spoke. And yet Jesus told Nicodemus, you have to be born again. Nicodemus was confused by this. Nicodemus couldn't understand the concept of uh, this new birth, this birth that would have to come from heaven. But you have to be born again. What is it? If you're born once, you'll die twice, both spiritually and physically. But if you're born twice, born physically and spiritually, you'll die only once, only in this physical life. But your spiritual life, you'll be with the Lord forevermore. When I was in my early 20s, I, I struggled with whether I was saved or not. I had accepted Christ as my Savior at the young age of seven years old, but somewhere in the process of life, I wondered, Lord, am I really saved? Now, there are some things that I did during those couple of years that I think were very positive in my wondering. I didn't leave church. Thing, I don't know if I'm saved or not. I'm not going back there ever again. I continued on. In fact, probably at that same time, I read through the Bible for the very first time in my life. I continued on in God's word. I was actually, although I didn't share this with my Sunday school class, I was teaching Sunday school. And I was struggling in my own heart. I was proclaiming faith in Jesus Christ, and I was not sure whether I was saved or not. I didn't doubt God. I didn't doubt that God was real. I didn't doubt that Jesus could save. I was just wondering, Lord, am I saved? And then one day on a Sunday morning, after Sunday school, the Lord caught me walking up the stairs in my dad's church, much like our church. I was coming from the basement toward the auditorium. And as I was walking up the first flight of stairs, the Lord asked, have you not done what I've asked you to do? And my response, yes, Lord, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. I quoted John 3.16 to Jesus. I know he knows the verse, but it was affirmation for me. And all I heard, and I don't know how I heard this, but it was the Spirit speaking to me. And all I heard was, okay then. And I have rested in that ever since. All I needed to hear Jesus was to tell me, okay. 
Maybe you need to hear Jesus say okay then today. But we've been going over the verse, so I want us to say it. Let's say it together. John 3.16 For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Father, I pray that we would just take that verse into our hearts. Very famous verse of scripture, Lord, and we can know it, we can quote it as we just finished doing, but it doesn't mean we're saved unless we've actually done what the verse tells us to do. We have to believe. And Lord, I pray that if there is perhaps someone struggling, like I at one time had been, Lord, I know that I was saved now, looking back at it, I was just struggling. I wasn't sure. And you gave me surety on that day. Perhaps, Lord, you want to give surety to someone today. Perhaps, Lord, you just want to save them. They've been very religious, but they've never asked to receive you as their Savior. Lord, whatever work you desire to do in this place today, we pray, Lord, work. In the name of Jesus, amen. Calvary Chapel is a fellowship of believers in the Lordship of Jesus Christ. Our greatest desire is to know Christ and to be conformed into His image by the power of His Holy Spirit. If you would like more information about Calvary Chapel, or if you would like a copy of today's message, please contact us at 847-265-0646. That's 847-265-0646. Thank you so much for joining us today, and may the Lord richly bless you as you worship Him today. Yeah.